I ended my 2022 by reflecting on things that I was grateful for, people that I'm grateful for, and two people that came to my mind are my spiritual mothers. They have been such a gift from God to me, and I've really been thankful for the ways that they've influenced my life, especially my faith formation. Hyun, I also call her Oma, which means mother in Korean, knew me from when I was a little kid growing up in Hong Kong. I met my spiritual mother, Barbara, when I was road tripping through New England in the east coast of the state. My relationship with both of these women really blossomed during my seminary years when I was in Bible college and receiving ministry training. Though those were some really good years of my life, they were also some of the most difficult because I was having to learn about what it means to pursue God with my life, what it means to submit to him and obey him about who he's called me to be and who he's created me to be. Life had not quite turned out the way I had anticipated. I had a whole set of dreams and things I wanted to accomplish with my life, which were very different from what God had for me, and that really left me feeling anxious and uncertain. So I had a lot of questions, like, God, why couldn't you just get on board with my plan and bless it? Why can't you just do what I want you to do, and then we can figure the rest out later? Or I was also really afraid, what if I had actually made the wrong decision? What was my future going to look like now? Perhaps you've asked questions like these in your own lives. Maybe you're sitting here asking questions like that coming into the new year. But it was during this season that my spiritual mothers prayed for me. They prayed with me regularly. They loved me. They held safe and intentional spaces for me. They went above and beyond to participate in God's work within my life. And it was in these relationships that I encountered God. And when I encountered God, everything changed. I was able to internalize this foundational truth about who I was, about my identity. It's that I am known and loved by God. I am known and loved by God. And when I started to place my fears and uncertainties, my questions and doubts in light of this truth, everything changed. Everything changes for us when we are able to place our doubts and questions, our worries and concerns in light of being people who are deeply known and dearly loved by God. We are known and loved by God. Today, we meet a woman who had her own set of uncertainties, worries, and doubts. Life had not quite gone the way that she had anticipated and hoped for. But she has an encounter with Jesus. And Jesus has a meaningful conversation with her. He holds a safe space for her. He goes above and beyond so that she could encounter the God who loves her. The God who knows her story and still loves her. 
This is the Samaritan woman, and her story is found in John chapter 4. How does Jesus meet her in these ways? And what can her story mean for us today? Before we delve into these questions and deeper into her story, would you please join me in prayer? Good and gracious God, we start this new year, the gift that you've given us, in your presence as your people. Spirit of God, would you open our hearts and our ears to be sensitive to what it is that you are saying to us and for us. Help us, Lord, to know our identity in an unshakable way that we are known and loved by you. In Jesus' name, amen. So at the beginning of John chapter 4, we find that Jesus is traveling from Judea to Galilee through Samaria. And he's hungry, he's tired, and he's thirsty from being, his, being on his feet all morning. So he rests by a landmark well, Jacob's well, while his disciples go into the city to find food. Actually, he intentionally travels through Samaria. He intentionally rests by this particular well. He intentionally stays behind while his disciples go to get food and is intentionally waiting for someone. And that one, the Samaritan woman, comes to the, to the well to draw water. Jesus is intentional. My spiritual mothers were very intentional with me in those formation, formational years of my life. Hion would purposely set aside time almost every week to pray with me and for me. She not only did that, but she taught me what it looks like to dialogue with God and have conversations with him through the practice of prayer. Whenever I would visit her in her farmhouse, Barbara would set aside purposeful time with me so that we could have long conversations undisturbed. We would eat together, sit under the sun, sun together, and she would be sharing her life and her story with me very openly during these times. And she, being a woman in ministry, sharing her stories with me meant a lot. Jesus is not only intentional in meeting the woman, but Jesus is intentional in the way that he meets this woman. As the woman approaches the well, Jesus initiates a conversation with a rather vulnerable ask. He says to her, will you give me a drink? Jesus is not just conversing for the sake of having a conversation, but he's creating that intentional space where she could be known, where she could be known in relationship with him. And he's opening up with his vulnerability. I'm thirsty. He's willing to become a humble recipient. Now, a couple of chapters earlier in John chapter two, Jesus does a pretty cool thing. He's at a wedding in Cana and he turns water into wine. And so I'm inclined to think that he doesn't actually need help getting water from this well if he could turn water into wine. But he's asking for help from this woman so that this relationship can be a relationship, a two-way street. God is intentional with us. And his intentionality shows us that we are known and loved by God. 
In what ways has God been intentional with you? Is it maybe through a specific provision of a particular need? Or maybe it's through a relationship or relationships in a particular season of your life, as was the case for me. Or maybe you're here uh, today in person or watching online feeling like you haven't actually experienced this intentionality from God. I want to encourage you that God wants to show you this intentionality because he does know you and he does love you. So I invite you to consider in what ways or in what areas of your life can you invite God to show you this intentionality as one who is known and loved by him. So after Jesus asks for water by, for, by, to the woman, we expect her to say, yeah, sure, you look really thirsty, you look parched. But she doesn't respond that way. Instead, she's really stunned, and she says, you are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? Historically speaking, this response sounds about right because Jews and Samaritans have a long background of animosity. They hated each other. They really did not associate with one another at all. In fact, if a Jew had to travel, and it so happened that they had to travel through Samaria, they would actually avoid the land and the people altogether and take the longer route, even if it was inconvenient. And so right off the bat, we see Jesus in the midst of a radical act, interacting with a Samaritan woman as a Jewish man. In response to the woman's question, Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Whoever drinks that water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Now here's Jesus who looks like he could use a jug or two of water himself. But he's talking about living water. What does that mean? The woman is confused as well, so she asks him and she suggests that he check himself because he doesn't even have a water pail or a jug to get water from the well that they're currently sitting by. What's he talking about eternal life for? She doesn't see, the Samaritan woman doesn't see that Jesus is the only one capable of giving this gift of God. That what Jesus is offering is actually a gift of God. But though she doesn't quite get it, she goes with it. After all, what does she have to lose? She might have quite a bit to gain. And that's when Jesus brings up the subject of her husband by inviting her to go bring him. And it's here that we get a more intimate glimpse of the ways that life had not gone according to her plans. Life had not gone the way she had anticipated or hoped for. This woman was Jesus's cultural enemy by being a Samaritan. There's also the fact that she's a woman and Jesus is a Jewish man, another cultural anomaly in a patriarchal society. On top of all this, she is a moral outcast. 
She is an outsider that nobody really wants to associate with, Jew or Samaritan. So then at this point, Jesus bringing up the subject of her marriage might sound really odd to us, insensitive, irrelevant, harsh. What's he doing? However, Jesus is not at all concerned with shaming her. He's not concerned with blaming her, and he's not doing that. Just like he's not concerned with all the morally imposed boundaries he's had to break or put aside on her behalf. It's also important for us to recognize that the Bible does not explicitly tell us why this woman has had five husbands or why she's currently with a man who is not her husband. There could be a number of different reasons for her particular situation. For instance, it's possible that her husbands have died. And in this cultural context, women really depended on the men in their lives to provide for them physically. So that's perhaps why she's kept pursuing marriages. It's also possible that the men in her lives have abandoned her or divorced her, and she did not have the agency to question their decisions or to hold them accountable. And it could be the case that the man she's currently with is just not willing to marry her and take on the responsibility of what it means to marry her and what that would entail. What's important for us is that neither scripture nor Jesus blame her. What's important for us to notice is that Jesus is not even publicizing her situation. He's created a safe space for him and for her. There's nobody else around. Even the disciples are not around. I'm inclined to think that that's probably why he had the disciples go to the city to get food so that he could create an intentional space for this woman. And by bringing this up, what he's telling her is that he knows her story, like really knows her story without her even having to explain it and he is not condemning her. He knows the ugly details of her life that has everybody else running, but he is choosing to love her. He is choosing a conversation with her. Jesus is choosing a relationship with her. Jesus is relational. Jesus is intentional. Jesus is relational. Jesus' offer of this living water for this woman wasn't just a really cool idea or some concept that she couldn't maybe really grasp. It's this intentional, life-giving relationship. Jesus is offering a relationship that others in her life, maybe it's her, her parents, her family, previous husbands, current partner, her community, could not or would not give her. In fact, Jesus can heal the very relational wounds that have labeled her a misunderstood outcast in her own society that has not known her, that has not taken the time to know her. As we all do, this woman craves relationships, and we see that she's kept pursuing these relationships with these men, but they've left her parched. They've left her thirsty, since we're talking about water. They've been unable to satisfy her deepest longing. And Jesus is offering 
this gift of relationship with him. When I felt parched by my own fears and worries and concerns, doubts, in a very fragile state of our season of life, I experienced deep relief through my relationships with my spiritual mothers who always pointed me to a God who knows me and loves me. In what aspects of your life might you be feeling parched? What might you have pursued apart from Jesus that has still left you thirsty, unsatisfied? Has it maybe been the pursuit of relationships like it was for the Samaritan woman? Has it been material things that you had hoped gaining would bring happiness? For me, what left me unsatisfied was the pursuit of achievement, a definition of what I wanted my life and my career goals to look like that were really apart from what God had for me. Drinking from this living water of Jesus is like drinking a cool glass of water on a hot summer's day. You can just imagine it. So satisfying. Or maybe it's hard to imagine because it's kind of chilly in here. What can Jesus' offer of living water mean for you as people who are deeply known and dearly loved by our God? Growing up, my family would make an annual trip to my father's village in southern India during the summer months. I remember watching the neighboring women gather together at the crack of dawn, super early, to visit the local well or water pump to get water for their daily chores or household needs. Women did this if they couldn't afford indoor water systems. But what I remember is that they would laugh and chat, they would share jokes, they would share tips for child rearing, they would update each other on who's getting married to who or maybe who's fighting with who. It was just so loud and vibrant and colorful. This was a safe environment for them to fellowship, to commune. They didn't have to worry about uh, cleaning or cooking. They didn't have to worry about caring for their kiddos or providing for their families at this time. Though in a similar culture and cultural practice, the Samaritan woman did not have this opportunity or experience. She comes to draw water in the noon, in the heat of the noonday sun, when most women came in the cool of the early morning air. She's not accompanied by friends or neighbors. She's alone. I imagine her walking with her head down, maybe with her head covered. She's avoiding eye contact with everybody. She just wants to get to the well, get her water, and leave quickly. There's no color or chatter or inviting noises around her. This is likely why Jesus' initial offer of this life-giving water that would leave her forever thirstless sounded so inviting, 
so that she didn't have to deal with people's condemning whispers or their gazes or their questions or the discomfort of the hot sun. As a moral and social outsider, she did not have community or that deep sense of belonging that comes with community. When we are known and loved, and we know that we're known and loved, we have a deep sense of belonging. People who belong behave as they belong. People who are loved behave as beloved. And we see this in healthy relationships or family relationships and friendships where people are so free to be themselves. They're open. They're completely open and totally just themselves. And this is what Jesus wants to offer to the woman, that deep sense of belonging. Jesus is intentional. Jesus is relational. Reflecting on this water imagery reminds me of the time I've spent before the Niagara Falls. Some of you might have been there. It's absolutely phenomenal. My parents had come for my graduation from college and we had visited the falls in New York as part of the trip. Again, it was so gorgeous and abundant. This is not a picture I took, but it's really representative of what we saw. Just, you know, putting it out there. And to me, this is what comes to mind when I think about Jesus's life-giving water. Majestic, vast, abundant, overflowing. It's a waterfall. And in my mind, it's contrasted to the water in a small bucket that the woman was hoping to take home that hot afternoon. Jesus has taken her little bucket and replaced it with a waterfall. And for this woman, a waterfall of living water means an abundant, life-giving relationship and experience of where she is known and she is loved. But it's so much more than that too. What Jesus is offering is relationship with him, with God, because he reveals himself as the Messiah to her. The Messiah being this divine God figure that people were waiting upon to restore them from their broken situation and from their sins to God. And Jesus does that for the woman. He restores her. And Jesus does that for us. He restores us from our brokenness, from our sins to himself, to God. For me, drinking from the living water offered by Jesus meant that the things that I was afraid of, worried about, really did not have the final say in my life. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that they disappeared or they stopped being relevant, but they just weren't powerful enough in my life. It meant that in the midst of uncertainty, I was sure of who I was. It didn't matter what I ended up doing or not doing as career or as job. It meant that in the midst of fears, I had peace. In what areas of your life might you ask Jesus for a waterfall 
of living water. Being at Niagara Falls left me in awe and in worship. Later in the chapter, continuing in their conversation, Jesus says to the woman, yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. Our response to being known and loved by this amazingly intentional and relational God is worship. I got to witness this kind of worship this Christmas as I participated in my first Christmas concert at 10th. I witnessed this worship on Sundays when we gather in person and online to worship and praise our God. We get to do that together like today. I witnessed this worship and experienced this worship in moments of my life to just leave me in awe and wonder that this God knows me and loves me. He chooses to know me and love me. He chooses to know you and love you. In Psalm 139, we are told how much God knows us and loves us. Here's what the psalmist writes, and Karen, you'll appreciate this. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. When Jesus is intentional and relational, we see this response of worship from the woman that she just leaves her water jug behind, runs into town, and tells everyone that she is, might have just met this Messiah. Jesus' living water takes the outsider and gives her such a sense of belonging the affirmation that she is known and loved, that she can't help but tell everyone else around her. Isn't it amazing that the outcast is who Jesus uses to bring others into relationship with him? Because we read that many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. Jesus' living water means relational restoration for this woman, not just with Jesus, with God, but with others, with her community. This is also why Jesus brought up her marital status, so that she could receive forgiveness and be transformed into a worshiper 
who can worship God in the spirit and in truth. We cannot really worship God unless we're fully open to him in all aspects of our lives. When we come to God fully open to him, he never condemns us. He never pushes away, pushes us away, but rather transforms us with his love and his grace, with, the, with his truth. And by God's grace, here's the good news of the truth. We are so deeply known and so dearly loved by our God. I'm so grateful to not only have my two spiritual moms, but also mentors who have journeyed alongside me during the most formative years of my life. My mentor, Amy, was visiting Vancouver from Hong Kong during the Christmas holiday, and she actually came to 10th on Christmas Sunday. And when we got together the next day on Boxing Day to have breakfast together, I asked her how she felt about being at 10th. How did she feel? What were her, some of her thoughts? And she loved it. That's no surprise. But she expressed that one of the things that she loved about our church community was a meal program, the free meal program that we have twice a week here through our Oasis Cafe. And so we got to chatting about Oasis Cafe, and I shared with her that I've had opportunity to sit in on some Tuesday afternoons with our guests. We'd eat together and hang out, and I'd get to hear some of their stories. And as we were talking, this image, exactly that, of an oasis came to my mind. This water of abundance in, in dry areas, in a dry place. And it reminds me that Oasis Cafe is one place where we gather together to be fed and nourished. We eat together. But it's also such an intentional and relational space within our church community. <clears throat> And it got me thinking about the Samaritan woman and the oasis that she was able to experience in her encounter with Jesus. That abundance she was able to experience through her encounter with Jesus. A well she had regularly visited became at an oasis where she came to see that she was known and loved. A routine place became a waterfall where she began to worship and that worship spilled over from her and carried over from her to her community. Moments with my spiritual mothers and my mentor has been an oasis for me. Spaces to be fed and nourished, to encounter Jesus, to know with that unshakable confidence which comes from encountering Jesus, that I am known and loved by God. In some way, we are all the Samaritan woman at the well because we need Jesus to continually fulfill those parched areas of our hearts and underwatered aspects of our lives. Jesus, the Messiah, God, is the only one who can do this for us, and he wants to do this for us. He wants us to know that we are known and loved by him. Where might God be inviting you to allow his living water to flow into? Is it maybe a job? Is it a relationship or feeling the lack of one? 
Is it a difficult situation? Is it struggling with loneliness or mental health or an illness? Whatever it may be for you, may this new year bring many opportunities where you experience Christ's living water and moments where you are reminded that you are so deeply known by God and so dearly loved by him. Amen. Would you pray with me? Jesus, thank you for who you are and who we get to be because of you, your people so loved and known by you. I pray, Lord, that as we go into this new year, that this would be a foundational truth about who we are, that we are a people you know and love. Thank you, Lord, for, for, for just who you are and the joy it is to be your people. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen.